Hi, everybody. It's Victor Agreta. And on this week's Coders, we're going to be talking about apps and market intelligence. So join us after the break. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Hey everybody, it's Victor, and on this week's Coders, I am joined by Jonathan Kay of Aptopia. How's it going, Jonathan? Life is good. Thanks for having me. Oh uh, well, uh, you know, this is something that's sort of interesting to me because I know a lot of developers. I know uh, a lot of people with apps in the App Store, and I'm familiar with how the App Store has operated. At least, you know, Apple's App Store, Google's App Stores. Uh, What's, it's really been an interesting explosion, especially for those of us who followed software back in the old days, right? Um, and first of all, you had physical distribution. And then with the internet, you had a lot more software, you know, online distribution. Um, I know that we used to cover a lot of shareware, uh, a lot of, you know, things people could just download through their computer. But now with the app stores, this is like a whole different thing. And uh, so people are trying to get market intelligence and they have to do it in different ways they did. You know, if you had your website and you had a download button, people could go to your site, they could download your app, and, and you could figure out, you know, what your sales were. Everything was pretty transparent to the, you know, business person, right? Uh, now we've got kind of a different thing because app stores are not this open environment. So app makers, of course, have to rely on the metrics they're being given either by the people who run the store or by folks like you. Is that right? Uh, yeah, that's 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 correct. And really, the biggest problem is is that people have no insight in in what's going on around them, right? So they might they might know that they got a thousand downloads yesterday, but they they don't have any context of what that means or what their competitors are doing. Right. And so, how, what does Apptopia do? Yeah. So essentially, what we do is we provide mobile app market intelligence, uh, which essentially means that we provide estimated, accurately estimated downloads and revenue for every mobile app and every publisher in the world. We provide um, SDK recognition, so we can help you understand what technology is installed in particular apps. So how different apps are monetizing, what ad networks they're using, what analytics, push no notifications they're using. Um, and we can help you keep track of certain market trends like who are the most successful new apps, who are the fastest growing apps, and which apps have the highest likelihood of breaking out. And, you know, that's really interesting to me because typically looking at, uh, uh, you know, you, you look at your own sales, right? And that's important, obviously, uh, but you can get those metrics from anybody who's running these app stores. They have very good metrics on how many people downloaded or bought or whatever. But this other stuff you're talking about, like knowing what frameworks another app is using, um, that's really, really critical stuff, isn't it? Because a lot of not just developers, but the app stores, the companies that are running these, want developers to be using frameworks that are new or cutting edge or enable functions that weren't available before. So if you see a competitor's doing something and you've been thinking, you know, maybe we should use that functionality, now it's like you can say, look, if we're going to compete, we have to use that, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, we, we, we've had a lot of surprising interactions with big brands who obviously move a little bit slower with their, their flagship apps and um, they've come on and actually started to analyze their competition, saw that their competition was working with Localytics and Urban Airship and was consistently communicating with their audience via push messaging. And 
this sparked action very, very quickly internally. So you're, you're, you're spot on. Yeah, that's and that's fantastic stuff too, because then end users are not having to suffer through these. I mean, frankly, I have tested hundreds of apps, thousands of apps, actually. Uh, if you look at my iTunes purchase list, it's a little ridiculous. It takes a little while for it to load even. Um, and so I've tested all, all these things. And I have found that in the past, some large companies, you know, because they do move a little bit slower, their apps are out of step with the latest, you know, OS eye candy. Sometimes the interface is the old school. You know, that's Luckily, I think we've moved away. Most of them have taken the the shine off the buttons and all of that sort of thing. So we live in a world of flat design now. Um, but it's it's really utilizing these new tools and being innovative means keeping up with the technological changes. And so this really gives them a, a really good business case for doing that rather than just saying, well, it's there, so why don't we use it, right? This has to justify from a business standpoint why they would invest those resources. Yeah, absolutely. And and even if you, you start to look at this from a smaller, a smaller developer standpoint, um, oftentimes we see that different ad networks produced different CPIs, different uh, eCPMs in different countries. And so sometimes app developers are just using the wrong ad network given the location of their traffic. And so they can see competitors who are monetizing better in those countries and they can see what tools they're using which might hint them toward an ad network that can actually produce a higher ECPM for them. And that's, that's super valuable stuff for developers. I know that I know a lot of people who rely on ad networks to, to, uh, you know, fund their apps basically, because it is very much a sort of a buyer's market right now, at least with mobile, the, the prices are, are pretty flat. Um, so I'm, I am curious without giving away any secrets, of course, tell us a little bit about this breakout predictor that you guys have. I think this is really cool. Yeah, so so I can I can I can definitely give a little bit of information. Um, basically, what we do is we we take every app that has reached the top 100 in the last six months, and we analyze its data the month before it reached the top 100. And we consistently do this month over month. And what we've learned is we've learned that there's probably 20 to 25 different leading indicators of uh, you know certain velocity or like a, a offsetting of a specific ratio um, in, a, in a specific country that actually was a trigger or, or a leading indicator to this app um, experiencing significant growth or reaching the top 100. Um, and I can be even less vague and I can give you like a, my favorite one. So, so one indicator that we use that's, the, that's my favorite. So essentially um, every app, every category and every country has a ratio of how many new users, how many new downloads it takes before they get one user reaction, as we call it. So maybe a rating, maybe a review with text. Uh, if that review says your app sucks, if that review says it's awesome, it doesn't matter at all. It's just an action, okay? And every category, every app has a ratio. So on average, games take about 225 to 250 new downloads before they get one reaction. Um, however, one of the biggest indicators of success or of growth is when you start to see an app getting uh, more reactions given a smaller number of downloads. It's indicative of a user base that's charged, right? Like mm -hmm. something happened, like these people are riled up about something and it's just a matter of pouring a little bit of gasoline on it before it, 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 it triggers. Um, so this is, this is one example and there's 20 to 25 of those that we take into account. 
Yeah, well, and that's really amazing stuff. It also goes to when when I tell people, look, if you aren't looking at metrics, if you aren't looking at the data, you're shooting yourself in the foot. I mean, it is really just like flying blind. It's kind of like, you know, if you had a lemonade stand out in your front yard, that's your lemonade stand. That's great. You don't have to know anything about local businesses or whatever to do that. But if you really want to have a proper lemonade stand that makes real money, you need to pay attention to these metrics. And and that right there, the, the sort of predictive analysis, I mean, that's the power of having a lot of data like you guys are looking at. So you're able to take all of those things and see trends before they happen, basically. Uh, but it is curious to me, and I wonder your thoughts on this. There, there's always, like you said, that sort of charged user base. And the question is like, how does that happen? Uh, I give you one example that I, that I personally find interesting because of my Angry Dad Gamer show. Uh, I know about games. And of course, games are huge in mobile. I mean, that's the number one category, obviously. Yep. Um, so you've got some things that are sort of can drive anomalous behavior, I would say. And a good example is PewDiePie, right? So if PewDiePie plays a game, then it, it will almost guarantee be in the top 10 uh, on the U.S. store. You know, I've seen some games pop up and I'm like, this used to be around. How, why is it all of a sudden? Well, you know, because my kids who are teenagers are watching it on PewDiePie's show. So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, how, how important is that? Or is that something that sort of accounted for in the data as we see this take off? Yes, I think the data the data is a is a is like a, a lagging indicator of, of these events that happen, right? And um, sometimes you're correct; it's an influential figure. It's a it's a press article. It's it's something along those lines. Um, honestly, sometimes it's not that obvious, right? So some of the most interesting cases we saw were just well built games that had a little bit of uniqueness to it a little bit of a sticky factor to it. And as people got deeper, they realized that like, wow, this is not like something I've played. This is a little bit unique. And like, this is really cool. And I'm, I'm, go like, I'm going to say something. And the best part is that you, and I'm thinking of one example in my head actually for an app called Gravlox, um, which was built by an indie dev that, dev that we knew through our marketplace. And he built this unbelievably unique puzzle game and he didn't build a lot of levels and people played it and they got pissed that there wasn't more levels. And like this started to create a reaction and the guy went from 10,000 downloads on Google play to a million to being featured by Google play because he built like something interesting, something unique, something that was high quality. Right. So sometimes it's the outside factor. Sometimes it's, it's not, it's just a high quality app. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that happens. I mean, you know, uh, I remember we watched Monument Valley have a really great launch, and that was before it was featured uh, on the show. Um, and I'm blanking on the show, but the Netflix show, it's about politics. What you know, it was an integral part of that show because the main character, Kevin Spacey's character, loves to play mobile games, and he was like addicted to this. But even before that was on uh, the show it was becoming popular. They did a great job with their, their press releases and all, you know, their whole marketing, whatnot was on point. Plus, and this is what I tell people all the time. If your app is no good, all the marketing in the world will not help it, you know, because users are going to know they're going to use it and they compare it to the other things that they've used. And you know, as much as anybody, mobile marketplace is very much kind of a throwaway sort of thing. If this doesn't work, I'm on to the next thing. It's just like the web. If you go a website and you can't get what you need in five seconds or less you're on to the next one 
Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And uh, I think it's an important point because you have so many brands right now who are spending million, two million, three million, half a million dollars on, a, on like the first couple of days of a launch in terms of buying installs. And it doesn't mean that the app is going to be successful, right? It means that it will be on the top charts for a day, but uh, it certainly doesn't mean that it's going to stay there. And you have, to, you have to understand these guys need to make that money back, right? So um, just because it gets to the top charts doesn't mean it's successful. It has to stay around the top charts for them to make enough money to even justify breaking even. So just the money alone doesn't cut it. There has to be something of some, of some quality or of some uniqueness there for sure. So uh, I know that you work with some pretty big clients, but is this also something that smaller independent developers can, can utilize you guys? Yeah, so I, I have to be honest with you. We didn't build the product for Verizon or for AOL or Chartboost. Um, these guys get benefit from it, so we love working with them. Uh, but we built the product because we thought that there was a huge void with indie developers, right? And most of the intelligence providers today only service the big market. And so we came out and decided, um, screw that, like we're going to build something that's much more usable. So absolutely. Um, and I see two primary use cases for indie devs. Um, use case number one is um, this type of market research that you and I are talking about. So we offer tools that every single day show you who are the most downloaded new apps, who are the breakout apps, who are the apps that essentially jumped the most in the last 24 hours. And the truth is, is that like my data, nobody's data is ever going to make you rich. But what we're going to do is, is we're going to help your decision making. So if you have a 20% chance of success, I'm going to make that a 30% chance of success. And so what you need to do is you need to understand what apps are being successful, what game mechanics are being successful, what are consumers responding to right now in the market. And by just like checking out these reports, like you might read TechCrunch or you might read some blog, just page through these reports once a day for five minutes. And you'll quickly start to realize like, hey, this game was successful. And then there was 25 copycats that were successful. And now, you know what? If you look at the game's top lists, the majority of the game's top lists are actually saturated by puzzle games. So it's like this one trend from like lock games to now all puzzle games are trending. So if you have four ideas in your head, you're going to invest $5,000. You need to know what's going on in the market. Otherwise, how are you how are you, you're just, you're completely guessing. And so use case one is just understanding what consumers are responding to in the market and uh, making your decisions accordingly. Excellent. Yeah. Well, and, and I know that's really valuable stuff for developers because a lot of them want to build something that of course scratches a personal itch, but at the same time you may look and you say, Oh, you know what? There's, this is a very crowded marketplace and no one's really making a lot of money on it anyway. So is it really worth the time to do that? And uh, although I will say a lot of the developers that I've seen who've made sort of their passion project type apps have done a really good job because they are sort of the subject matter experts. And as long as they have the design and code skills to create a good app, then it, you know, it does pretty well, even if it's very, very long tail, very, very niche. Uh, But I can imagine that market intelligence for a very niche app is still very, very useful information, right? Because you want to see what other people are doing and how well that's working. Yeah, and like you, you need, you just need to understand what the potential is. And um, you know, <laughs> right, like the biggest problems today are that a people are guessing, and b people um, still have like a a gold rush mentality. 
And like, this is dangerous, right? Like you, you should build your passion project, but you need to know what the ceiling is and you need to be real with yourself in terms of how big different market sizes are. Right. And so this type of data is going to help you at least quantify that a bit more. And, you know, speaking to that, because there, there is a mentality, I think, with some people that there's this gold rush. The App Store, you know, the iPhone came out in 2007, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a while, you know. I mean, we're, we're getting on uh, eight, nine years now. We're, we're getting close to a decade of the App Store soon. And the business marketplace has really matured. I mean, this is very, very difficult, I think, now to find that sort of gold rush that I remember one of the early successes was Trism. Uh, on the iPhone, right? And it was an indie developer. I think he was in San Francisco. He had worked at another game studio, but he was just at his house making this thing. And it took off. And it was, like you said, it was just a well-built app. It hit all the right notes. And he became the sort of poster child, him and like the iFart guy um, yeah. and a few other apps, you know, kind of became these poster children for the gold rush. But that was a long time ago. So the the marketplace has really matured now, right? Yeah, big time. And, 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 and I can even tell you from a, like a very data geek perspective, part of our business is in terms of tracking Apple and Google's algorithms. Like my business is relying on me having some strong understanding of that and the complexity of even how they've changed in the last three years is insane. Like just, just buying a hundred thousand downloads doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't do it for you anymore. Right. There was, if you built anything, you made money. Or then there was like, you could buy your way, you could arbitrage the market. Right. And now it's like, you need to actually build something of quality. You need to make sure there's demand there. You need to spend your marketing dollars intelligently, right? You can't even just spend it all in one place. Now you have to actually spread it out. There's, it's a bit, it's a business. Like you need to, you need to have like someone who can build someone who can market. Like you need to have a team these days. Yeah. Yeah. It it seems to be more difficult for the sort of lone wolf. And another thing on that too, is what I've seen anyway, from a developer standpoint, is that Apple and Google, and and because there is such heated competition, they're releasing new technologies. Each iteration of the OS is, is, is adding so much more. And now you've got a sort of sea of devices as well. You've got a watch, you've got a, a television box, you know, you've got all these things that are plugging in and starting to be integrated, both Google and Apple and Microsoft all doing this now. Um, and so you've got to account for that. So if you're one or two people, it's almost impossible for you to be a multi-platform mobile developer and tap into these ecosystems in, in a very deep way that you need to, it seems like. Yeah, you got to focus your, you got to focus your energy. We see, we see people go too, too wide <laughs> yeah. all, all, all the time and they have a lot of really mediocre things and you got to focus if you're that small. Um, and so speaking of actually looking forward a little bit, uh, I am curious, do you guys, uh, is there a way for you to capture metrics in regards to the, uh, the TV OS store that'll be coming out or the, like the Apple watch or any of the Google wearables? Yeah. So, uh, we're just starting to collect data on the Apple watch at the moment. Um, and the TVOS will be, uh, our ability to succeed there is driven that there's a different app store yeah right so like when you access your device from your ipad you're actually seeing a different app store so we have very clear metrics on iphone versus ipad um right now they have tags for the watch i think that will likely evolve into its own app store soon um, because otherwise it will be too confusing at which point we'll have very good data there and the tvos will need to have its own app store so 
our intelligence will kind of drive with as Apple matures its own markets there. Yeah. And it's, it's been interesting, uh, you know, to see all of these things come online and then to see the market adoption of some of this. Uh, just, just curious, I mean, where do you see, do you see wearables really taking off in the next year or two? I, I happen to not. Um, I happen to not. If, if you ask me between the watch and the TV, I think, um, I think the TV OS is, is, is way, way, way more interesting um, as, as much as my and everyone's consumption of entertainment has evolved and we consume a lot of TV on our phones at the gym, et cetera. Um, I don't think, like, I think what's happened, excuse me, is that I, I actually watch more entertainment now. It's not that I watch less on my television, but I can consume it in more places. Right. Yeah. So I think some of these metrics are skewed. I don't think TV is going anywhere. And I think there's a lot of things that have not gotten smart enough on the TV yet. And so if you take the app development world who are the most savvy, crazy guys out there, then I think they can do some interesting things. I think the watch is just a nuisance because it's not going to replace my phone yet. And until it can replace my phone, it's, it's just another, like the whole point of my phone is that I don't have to wear a watch anymore right now. Right. Uh, it, it, there's some, something counterintuitive to it, right? It's trying a little bit too hard in, in my personal opinion. Yep. Yeah, I can see that actually. It, it, for me, it's one more thing to charge and I have enough things to charge at the end of the night to where I'm like, okay, where, and, you know, and then if my kids are visiting, I'm like, now I need two more chargers. Oh, four more chargers. Oh, six more chargers, you know, so <laughs> it's definitely a problem. Um, all right. Well, Jonathan, uh, people can find you at aptopia.com, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's a great service. I, I mean, it's a really great product you guys have. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Any market intelligence that people can get, is good intelligence, but you guys have some really, really interesting stuff that they can drill down into and, and just see some fascinating things. I love the breakout predictor and, and what you're doing with all of these metrics to kind of guide people and make great business decisions. Um, well, so thank, thanks, thank, for thanks for having me, man, and for the kind words and wish you guys a lot of success. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. And uh, let's see, next week we'll be back with coders, uh, same time, same channel. And please join us. We'll have another interesting guest. Thanks all. Coders is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Victor Agreta Jr. or to suggest a show topic for Coders, you can reach him on Twitter at SuperPixels. For all the latest news on wireless code and the whole world of wireless, check out rcrwireless.com. <laughs>